Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Last Chance for a Slow Dance from 1993's In on the Killtaker is Doug McGregor, who has played drums with the Constantines and City in Color and John K. Sampson. Doug, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks, Ian. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's very nice to have you. First question, Doug, to you as the uh, as the drummer for the Constantines. Please tell me and the listeners, how do you count the song Shine a Light? Oh, <laughs> um, you know what? I never really thought about it until, uh, I guess, years ago after that record came out and someone asked. And... Um, uh, you mean like the, the 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 timing in the verse, right? Yeah, I just like, uh, it's so yeah. unpredictable to me. I can never remember uh, when the I, one is. It's just um, I always just played along to the guitar line, uh, but uh, when you count it out, it's it's like um, uh, it's I oh I haven't listened to it in a while. It's like a um, the one phrase is ten beats, and the one phrase is the next part is eleven. I see. Okay. So, I don't know what that timing is, but uh, it's a 10-beat phrase and an 11-beat phrase. But I I never really knew until someone asked me. And I had to listen <laughs> to it out. But it's a, it's a 10 and an 11, so however you would break that down to write it for sheet music, I don't know. But uh, it's a 10 and an 11, yeah. Okay, great. Luckily, uh, <laughs> luckily, luckily it's just hats and bass drums, so uh, yeah. there's nothing fancy going on, yeah. All right, I'm glad you don't seem like that much more clued into it than I am because <laughs> I, I was no I, no I just remember that that when that uh, line came up we just played a lot it took a while but I never really counted it, it yeah kind of sang it in your head yeah I know what you mean well that's a, yeah. it's a cool little jam <laughs> yeah thank you so as interesting you guys uh, in the Constantines got started pretty much as Fugazi were coming to the end of their career I guess I guess you formed a couple of years before that obviously you're a fan were they an influence on all of you and did that influence manifest uh in the music in a way that you can articulate do you think yeah absolutely we like uh we were all fans um uh in, in fact the uh uh the first uh, four members which should be you know uh, before will joined which would be myself and bry the singer and guitar player and steve uh singer guitar player dallas uh we we kind of um were involved in like the southern ontario uh uh, post-punk hardcore scene and so we kind of knew each other from that way and you know like uh, i guess for lack of a better term fugazi would be one of like the flagship bands i guess of of a kind of semi-autonomous you know movement of music in the in the 90s there or at least my experience was the 90s because uh, i'm too young to know about the their 80s time right I, sort of experience but yeah <laughs> so yeah they're a huge influence um uh, particular, well, for me, like uh, Brendan Canty was a very big influence on in the way I played. And uh, I know Joe Lally was for Dallas, and I know the way that they interacted with each other very much influenced the way we played because, you know, we're punks, but we were listening at the time, starting to listen to, like, much like they were not because of it, but we were listening to a lot of reggae and uh, uh, R&B and, and funk and soul and stuff, and... Uh, 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 Dallas and I tried to, in our own way, emulate the kind of uh, the way those rhythm sections would lock together and play off each other, uh, much the same as uh, uh, Joe Lally and Brendan Canty would. Do you remember when you first uh, got into Fugazi and how they came into your life? Yeah, I was thinking about this. It was like um, I, I went to elementary school, and you know, towards the end, I was a metalhead, right? So yeah, I discovered Metallica and Slayer. And you kind of trip and fall down this hole, and you're, and the next thing you know, there's Exodus, and there's like, you know, Celtic Frost, and that, that was the first time uh, I'd ever kind of stumbled under like underground rock music. And uh, so I started high school in 1991, and that like September of 91, you're 14, and that's when Nevermind was released. And I remember my old my high school bandmates and I saw that Smells Like Teen Spirit video. What was that? <laughs> yeah, you know, because and and uh, so we we got to sound like that, and uh, you know this, you know, Slayer's too hard anyhow um, for us to play. So uh, <laughs> that kind of you know uh, you kind of uh, opened up to a whole other underground. So you know you're hearing Sonic Youth and um, 
it's kind of weird because like figure well literally in my life you're head, heading into a whole new world of uh being high school right you know you're not a big high school but a, 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 a thousand students and um um uh so you enter that and never mind comes out so the culture around us is changing fast and then uh you go home for christmas and by the time we start the second semester uh the soviet union's gone hmm. so it's a whole it's a whole new world in that way uh and uh in high school i met Bry webb who was a singer guitar player in constantine so we became friends uh he this would be probably 93 he passes me a Walkman and says, you should listen to this. I think we should play this, the cover to try covering this. And it was uh, Shut the Door by Fugazi. And I'd, I'd never heard anything like that. Um, it was just um, so different from Nirvana and Mudhoney. Uh, like the, it was still like loud guitar, but the approach was so different to me. Uh probably the emphasis on rhythm, like the stop and start. And the fact that they were getting tones out of a guitar that I'd, you know, never really heard before. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing song. And I, I felt the same way. I like, I think I've said before, that's probably the Fugazi song that I would just in high school, just sit in my room and try to play along with because yeah, there's something really entrancing about it. Um, they, yes. Yeah, as as like as a composed piece and as a jam uh, piece. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. That's funny because I think that's the first song I, I played along to. I, I believe I, I I copied, I made a dub of Repeater, and uh, I was you know playing along to Shut the Door. And you talk about influence. I think that was probably the first time I was really playing like sixteenths uh, on the hi hat, right. like he did, and like and like opening and closing the hats in the way that he did, which wasn't just, you know, close them in the verse and open them wide in the chorus, you know? Um, so yeah, listening to that and, uh, yeah. And so repeater was the first record I, and incidentally, when he, he passed it to me, I was looking at the cassette. I, I recognized it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is the spine of the cassette that always stuck out to me because it was, um, it was in a stack of cassettes uh, behind the counter of this like really small uh, skate shop in L- London, Ontario. So when I went there to buy my, I never skated, but you know, you go there to buy van shoes and this little <laughs> spine always stuck out to me. I was like, what's that? And then um, finally hearing, I was like, it, it was like, uh, yeah, I, it, it was a pretty watershed moment for me personally, uh, musically. Nice. And and this was in the early nineties sometime before, before like, I would say, yeah, late ninety three. Late yeah. ninety three. Yeah. So Killtaker was probably pretty fresh at that time, huh? I I don't even know if you know what I don't think it was out yet because uh, I'm I'm trying to think because uh, that came out. When did that come out? The end of. Was, uh, that was, was in that, uh, in summer ninety three. Okay. Yeah. So this would be like uh, yeah. So this would be just a couple months. So what? Steady Die would have been out. Yeah. So, uh, and then I got the, uh, the first DP, uh, the six uh, on cassette, of course. Um, uh, it, it was more pragmatic for a 40 minute, 45 minute bus ride to and from school. <laughs> yeah. Cause the disc man, the disc man always skipped. So, uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah. you know, and I, 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 I'm pretty sure that I know, I know that when I first popped the cassette, that cassette in, I listened to waiting room three times in a row before I got to the second song. Because I just kept rewinding it. What was that? You know, uh, even having heard, um, even having heard repeater, I, not, like there was nothing quite on it. Uh, th- there wasn't a chorus quite as anthemic, for lack of a better term. Yeah, uh, I you know like there's some really good hooks on on repeater, but nothing quite as yeah anthemic, I guess. Yeah, you really just brought back some memories of of listening to a disc man on the school bus and trying to get it not to skip and then yeah, yeah. and then when yeah, a new yeah. disc man would come out with like uh you know five second skip protection everyone was like whoa yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah man good times yeah. Sh- you share yeah, a pair I- of earbuds with a friends yeah. yeah totally yeah yeah <laughs> oh man these are the memories that make me feel old at this point i know well as as we can see it set you on a uh 
probably helped change your life. I don't know if you if you had decided like I'm gonna be a musician uh, by that point, but um, no, no, I, I never decided to be a musician. I I just always wanted to play music. I knew I always wanted to be in a band. It uh, it just um, it, it seemed absurd to me uh, the idea that you could actually do it. Uh, you know, even even with even with the example of punk rock and, and Fugazi, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, just it seemed like something for other people. And uh, did you get a chance to see them live at any point? Yeah, actually, I got to see them live uh, twice. And actually, in pre- preparation for this, I actually downloaded the two shows I saw. Uh, they were on the End Hits tour, and they were only a couple months apart in '98. Mm-hmm. So I saw them at in Detroit uh, at the State Theater. Oh, okay. In uh, um, I, I and I'm, I'm friends with Vish, and I listened to the episode you did, and I know he was at that show. Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit. Yes, and he was friends with this guy Aaron Riches, who was uh, older. He was from the same punk scene, Vish and uh, Aaron and. Um, Aaron Riches was friends with those guys because he booked some shows for them. And uh, uh, they were from like Guelph, Cambridge area, which is about, you know, London for people at home. London, Ontario is like, it's dead. It's two hours south of Toronto, Ontario, and two hours north of Detroit. It's right on the middle. Right. So we'd often go to Detroit for shows. And Beach uh, and Aaron were from about an hour closer to Toronto. But anyways, we knew those guys. And I remember looking in the standing in there in the audience in uh, and looking up and there's Vish side stage. Uh, actually he was with uh, Steve and Dallas who would later, you know, we'd become, uh, we would join a band with Constantine's and they were, I'm like, those, look at those guys. They're on stage, you know, <laughs> but I, I, but I was so stoked to see them uh, in this, in this beautiful theater. Um, I still have this ticket stub somewhere, but I, I didn't dig through to find it. I, I know it was $6 uh, because uh, there was a one dollar restoration fee. <laughs> yeah, for, to, for this, I'm looking at the uh, the Fugazi Live Series page now. There's a picture of the ticket stub, and yeah, you're exactly right. There's a seventy five uh, yeah. cents restoration fee. Yes, I, I saw that earlier, and I laughed because mine says a dollar because it's probably Canadian. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, which is it's this beautiful Art Deco theater. So. Uh, uh, in fact, have you, have you ever seen the movie um, Out of Sight? It's uh, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. I have not I, seen I, that. It's uh, I, I believe it's a Steven Soderbergh movie, and it's based on an Elmore Leonard novel. But there's a uh, scene where they go to a boxing match, and that, that takes place in the State Theater, where this show was. Hmm. Um, uh, I, the State Theater, it's, it's since been renamed. It was bought out. It's the Fillmore now, I believe. But yeah, it's still there. I, years later, I, I played there a couple times with City and Color, and it was it was just a trip to be back in that room. Nice, yeah. Like, it would be cool to play a place that I had seen Fugazi. Um, I did that myself. Yeah. I got to play Fort Reno for one brief show. Really? Yeah. So that was that was like a rite of passage, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, that show too. I remember it was also for six bucks. It was like it was blonde redhead. Yeah, and shellac. Shellac, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, and then um, the, the a friend of ours, Hannah, she worked at the local uh, the University of Western Ontario uh, college radio station. So she was hipper to uh, the more indie side of stuff, for lack of a better term. And we found out uh, the Fugazi show was like an earlier show. And then just up the street on Woodward Avenue, which is uh, you know where the State Theater is, the main drag of Detroit, right up the street, uh, there's a at the Magic Stick uh, was uh, Calexico opening for Dirty Three. Wow! Uh, for uh, and I was ten bucks, and she was like, "Please, we gotta go." And I took her. We just okay, sure. And so I had my mind blown twice <laughs> that day for well, five times I guess for sixteen U.S. dollars. Yeah, hard to hard to find a better way to spend sixteen dollars, in my opinion, than <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've spent more on far worse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So today with Doug, I'm talking about last chance for a slow dance. A couple of just fun facts about 
this particular episode of this podcast, it's uh, by dint of chance. This is the second album closer in a row that we're doing. Last episode, we did KYEO. And oh. also, uh, this show marks the beginning of the longest Guy Pachotto run of the show. Uh, this episode and the next four all feature Guy Pachotto on lead vocals. So uh, join us today as we start to dig into the uh, nigh impenetrable poetry of this enigmatic gentleman. In, in terms of live outings, this was first played uh, July 28th, 1991, so it was kind of an kind of an early track from Killtaker. A little info from our friend Joe Gross's book, the resource that I always go to for in on the Killtaker songs. So he he talked to Guy about this song and apparently people early on often compared Fugazi to a band called The Ruts. Are you familiar with The Ruts, Doug? Yes, yes. Yes, I, I know the Rots, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really, uh, I don't think I was familiar with them at all before reading this, um, mm-hmm. but I checked them out, and Guy says that he took the line, some lights were shining, from their mm-hmm. song called It Was Cold, uh, because they were just, they loved the Ruts. Um, and he, Guy also says that sort of just the chords uh, for this kind of were inspired by playing around with the song Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. And uh, just playing around with that <laughs> little like A minor figure, uh, I guess mm-hmm. that's where he came up with the uh, that part. Uh, there's there's a little oddity here that I'll say by way of introduction. Um, that so there's a show online from Honolulu, November eighteenth, nineteen ninety one, where Guy introduces the this song by saying this, and this seems like. It can't possibly be true. It's, it seems like kind of BS, but uh, uh, this is what he says. I think it's just funny. He says, uh, to be honest with you, I really don't know how to swim very well. And yesterday we were out just goofing around in the water and the undertow pulled me out about 50 feet onto a sandbar. And I was on my back and I was kind of freaked out because I didn't think I could swim back to the shore. But luckily I had my acoustic guitar with me and I wrote a song about it. I was thinking, you know, I may not be able to swim very well, but when I was a kid, I could slow dance pretty well. This is a song about that. End quote. Um. <laughs> yes, I, I. You know what? I, I watched that one today because uh, I read the same book, and they talk about how that was that song had been gesting since the, the steady diet days. Right. I, I I found that I yeah that was pretty funny. I wa- I want to say one other thing too is um I I some this is as a side but um. He was saying that, and I, I, I was thinking about that One Last Wish song from the State of the Union compilation, uh, Buried in the Undertow. Oh, yeah, right. Because he's talking about the undertow, and then the very first line of this song is a metaphor for burial. Yeah, and, and not only that like burial, but, Yeah, and being underwater, which yeah. has come up a couple of times. Yeah. Yes. It's, uh, you know, we just... Uh, as we record this, the episode for I'm So Tired uh, just came out where uh-huh. uh, Ian sings the line dragged underneath, just which raises the idea of undertow in my mind. But also, I always felt that this song was a little similar in a few ways to Fell Destroyed, which just sort of mentions laying in water and it has a similar feel also to me. Yeah, that, I never really thought about that, but uh, I, I would say this song uh, reminds me musically in, in a way, um, it reminds me very much in a certain sense of uh, long division, in, in, in the sense that um, both are very sparse, like more than other Fugazi songs, very sparse vocally driven songs. Yeah, no, I, I totally like it, get that. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's one sparse portrait. Uh, I, I know like like Shut the Door is kind of like that. But I, I think in this one, uh, um, uh, I know they write their songs mostly as instrumentally, but it seems in both these songs, the band kind of lays back and, and, and supports the vocals and the lyrics. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I was, I was and, really going to uh, say that especially Ian Mackay is a real support player in this song. Um, you yes. Know, and a lot of songs, he even if he's not taking center stage, he's often doing some very very sort of Ian type of chuggy rhythm guitar. Um, yes. Whereas in this one, if you watch the clip from Instrument, he's it actually shows him at the end he's playing with his thumb. Uh, and yeah. And that's like, yeah, he's he's 
he's trying to really play along with the bass and give this i don't know underpinning of of this melodic figure that that the uh that Guy's guitar figure moves against which is yes, pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, um I in a way I kind of like them both songs bear me out here but it's kind of like um that uh, Shane O'Connor uh, video for Nothing Compares to You. You know, it's just a sparse portrait. You know, that video is just her head. Yeah. And it's just the emotional changes she goes through within the song. And I feel like both those songs kind of have that in common hmm. in, in a weird way. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I That video hadn't come to mind. I always... <laughs> okay. That video always reminds me of uh, Radiohead No Surprises, uh, too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah, remember okay. that one? I don't know. No, it's the one no. where it's just Tom York's head, and he's in some kind of fishbowl that gradually fills with water. Uh, okay, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, that's a nice absurdist take on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I yeah. wonder if that was influenced by uh, the Sinead O'Connor video. Anyway, yeah. now now we're really getting off track, but um, but yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, yeah, man. Ian and Joe in the song, there something about it reminds me of like a string quartet, like chamber music. Um, oh, I'm 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 glad you said that because I I distinctly remember the first time I heard this song, and and it's at, of course it's at the end of the record. Um, there the, the two interesting things about other also about this song is that for a band that's um got like a crack rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the bass and drums. It's it's uh, Guy's guitar and the drums are doing the rhythm. Right. And then they and I never noticed the first time hearing it the, the line that they're playing on bass that Joe and uh, Ian are playing uh, the first time through. Probably maybe ear fatigue, but uh, until the end when they they ha- have it out. And you said it reminds me of a string second and a, section, and I was thinking about it. it's almost like a an orchestra they have in, like they'll they'll voice certain instruments like pianissimo. So you can't hear them, but they're there until mm-hmm. like the, like the French horns will be pianissimo. That's Italian for strings, very quiet, right? Y- yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You got to um, say it, pianissimo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, but you don't notice it until until the, the rest of the song is gone and, and it's there. And then I remember going back and listening right away and I was like, oh, it's been there the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And yes. Uh yeah, I, I have commented before about Fugazi songs, how they do that so much, uh, maybe not as prominently as this, but they sort of add and strip away elements to just sort of highlight what each member of the band is doing in a in a very fun yes. way that I like. Yeah. Even though I sort of said they sounded like a string quartet, they do like you could definitely imagine a string quartet covering this and just the cellos playing with each other, uh and really. Yeah, doing absolutely. That line well um and yeah actually that yeah that line would probably would go well with like a bowed bass and cello absolutely and but even though i say that i always also kind of felt like at the end it sounded a little piano-esque something about the way that the bass is like giving you this fundamental note and the guitar is sort of playing the same thing but with a just a different tonality on top. It's got that sort of uh-huh. zinginess that if you play a bass note on a piano, it makes that sound. Um, so yes, it's, yes, it's kind of yes. like best of both worlds, piano and strings, and just really sounds gorgeous. Yes, yeah, and you, and and just the the, the, the tenderness where you, can, you can hear like the 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 the, the, the fingertips uh, scraping the strings. It almost sounds like at one point too, you can like you can hear Guy actually switch his guitar off. Like like there's I don't know if the Rickenbacker has a switch. I can't remember, but. Uh, Never owned a Rickenbacker. I can't get along with how they feel, even though they're, okay. they they look and sound so cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. My most of my experiences from uh, with Rickenbackers are Lemmy worshiping basses. So yeah, <laughs> I'm for sure. Good reasons. Okay. I'm sure if I actually owned one, I would learn to get along with it because they're they're really cool. But uh, man, yeah. it's expensive too. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's not one that I'm just gonna plunk down the money on and hope that I learn to love. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's that it really shows off that Rickenbacker tone uh, that yeah, yeah, that Guy is working with, and yeah, I love it's it's really on the edge of breakup for the verses in this song in a in a great way, you know, the, like the gentler notes are clean, and the ones he hits a little harder yes. just have that hair on it. It's just right in that sweet spot. Yeah, the other thing I noticed too is uh, lyrically, I never really noticed this until I kind of wrote them down. 
Uh, but the 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 lyric the 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 scheme has like a AAB pattern very loosely. It seems like uh, like there's uh, internal rhymes within the line, like coffin inside your coffin, and warning the threat of morning. Yeah, uh, some mice were shining, not for seeing. There's like an AAB kind of very loosely adhered to, but nonetheless there, which is I think very clever. Yeah, it's. It's it's not strict, is it? Right, because uh, no, no, <laughs> yeah, it's sort sort of like the first one is A A B C, uh, and like there are yeah. a couple of those, but then the flare fakes a flower. That's the the two middle lines rhyme with each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the same with yeah, pull yes. stalls uncut but clotted when you had thought it would yeah. force a flow. So that's like the yeah the second and third lines rhyme with each other. So he he's really yeah. sort of playing around with it all over the place there. Yeah, he's very much playing with lyric uh, with the uh, words here. I think because like he's got the, uh, the the homophone here with coffin and coffin. Um, flare fakes a flower, which is harder to just say. Let <laughs> yeah. sing. Absolutely, uh, you got a, the alliteration. Uh, the way he yells "shot, shot," uh, it sounds like the word he's talking about. Uh, onomatopoeia, that's called, I believe. Right. So it's got all these uh, 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 tricks of language in it. And also the uh, when he says he sings early in the song, um, you'll be leaving the way you came, and when that that comes back later, he says you believe in the way you came. Yes, yes, that too. Yes, yeah. So um, it's it always struck me as almost um, stream of consciousness poetry in that way, um, and if <laughs> whether or not I'm successful at finding a unified meaning very impressionistic and I, I don't know it leaves you more with a feeling than with a concept to me absolutely it's uh, it's it's definitely one of those lyrics it's kind of a rorschach test uh in a way it's uh it's very vague and it, i guess you know everyone's going to take something out out of it yeah i was i was really wrestling with it i like i mean spoiler alert i'm i don't have an overarching theory about last chance for a slow dance and what it means but the the couple of things that came up to me were it's possibly about some kind of interpersonal difficulties difficulties of communication where Guy says for example uh, you know the part where he's saying uh inside you're breathing too numb for asking so i'll leave it outside your door like somebody is uh, either unable or unwilling later on it's like too shy for asking Unable or yeah. unwilling to ask for something, uh, but the the other party wants to give it anyway, w- while leaving their privacy unencroached upon. Yes, I I, I had the same uh, feeling, like whether it's trying to, uh, like yeah, some kind of yeah, some friend that has a barrier up, or there's a barrier between them, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, and so, uh, honestly, I wonder if there's maybe if it's two separate people. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the person who's breathing, breathing and numb for asking and will be leaving in the second verse is needing, but too shy for asking. That's interesting. And and would believe like um, it reminds me in a, in a weird way of uh, uh, William Faulkner uh, in some of his novels. The, the person, the, the narrator will switch perspectives uh, in time and place, uh, particularly in like Sound and the Fury. And the way you, the clue to that, that they've changed time and place is the way that they address the person. So I don't know if it's two people or if it's one person at two different times. Hmm. He's it's like, it seems like he's, he's addressing someone close to him, but there's a barrier is my in- interpretation. You know, that's a great thought. It hadn't occurred to me, but now that I look at it that way, it feels like the first verse um, is, so in the first verse, there's a lot of, maybe death adjacent language right yes because of course we have the coffin um you're breathing too numb for asking as if somebody is yes. dreadfully ill warning the yeah. threat of mourning that just extends you another day like somebody who's yeah. on the brink of death and you yeah. you'll be leaving the way you came so yeah and and whereas the second verse reminds me has always uh, given me somewhat of a feeling of unrequited love some kind of uh timid teenage romance kind of thing yeah yeah it seems that the second verse is definitely more positive than the first 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's something, and I, I know from that the the, the, the Joe Gross book we're referencing, we, he talks about how "Rend It" is basically a relationship song. Right. This this could be a relationship song. It could be a friend. It could be a girlfriend. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think if we read it that way, like, so Flair fakes a flower, a burnt out shower, no one can see. It's like some kind of hidden secret passion uh, for somebody yeah. else. Um, yeah. That that by the way, just as a brief tangent. The the image of like equating fire with flower, um, it's it's reminiscent of there's a there's a pretty famous sonnet by Pablo Neruda, where's the the line is the arrow of carnations the fire shoots off. Um, so hat tip to Neruda, who, whom I don't think I've mentioned so far in this podcast, but he's a he's a good one. He, uh, shout out to Chile. You know what? I, I I just got a book of his poetry from a, a friend of mine. She loaned it to me. Oh, happy um, Valentine's uh, Day! We are recording well, on Valentine's yeah, Day, by the way. This is this is this is eight months ago, though. Um, which was it was a um, it was like you know a, a COVID lockdown book exchange, right? Which reminds me too. It's really hard not to look at the first bit of this, uh, the first lyrics here. Uh, coughing inside your coffin. Uh, uh, I will leave it at your door, warning the threat of mourning that it just extends another day that seems so much like this Groundhog Day we've been in and like it could be a postman or your Uber Eats guy, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's impossible because, you know, this, this is, you know, hit us all like a sledgehammer every day. Well, it's metaphorically, but uh, it kind of feels that way. Um, I know that's not what it's about, but, uh, you know good writing it can apply to many things i guess yeah for sure for sure it, like it, I, I i remember as looking at the lyrics i was like oh my god this looks like lockdown i know it's not but uh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. i definitely agree yeah um and uh i was gonna say the the little stanza pulse stalls uncut but clotted when you had thought it would force a flow so yeah. like freezing up when you I, it just now that I'm on this track, I keep thinking of this hidden romance, like, you know, trying to get up your nerve to make a move, but you just, you just can't bring yourself to, to go and talk to the person that you're interested in. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, that that's just a, I don't know what that means, but it's just a beautiful line, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely yeah, agree. A, and did you notice too, if you look at, you brought the Hawaii uh, show that the, there's less lyrics, he's clearly working it out. That's true, right? Uh, he just kind of uh, eat like the first verse is basically like half as many, where he repeats himself, and then the second verse he 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 repeats the like the flare fakes a flower mm-hmm. uh, part is twice, and the coughing in your coffin line, although he says waiting the first time around in the first verse is done twice, so he's clearly it's a work in progress that. I looked at a, sh- a performance in DC in 92 and the, the lyrics there are, are as they are on the album. So he clearly had worked it out by then. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're amazing lyrics in a way. Um, so one of my embarrassing memories, um, when I went to college, uh, you know, freshman year, you, you know, you get there first time and on our hall, they had, they had a bulletin board, like a little cork board fabric covered type thing on, on everybody's door and yeah. they kind of had it set up with your name uh, and but then after that you were encouraged to you know customize it any way you want do whatever you want um i and i like typed the lyrics to this song and i printed them out and that was on my bulletin board <laughs> and like looking oh, back really looking back it's like so you know geeky and pretentious to do but uh but i did it yeah. and i'm fessing up to it right yeah. now on the alphabetical well. fugazi <laughs> <laughs> well, I almost put a right to spring lyric in my uh, high school grad caption, but I <laughs> didn't do it at the end of the day. I just left my like signature. So yeah, yeah, peas in a pod. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of the ways that it was done differently early on and and done differently live. I was going to bring up something about the drums, but it occurs to me that uh, we haven't really said much about the drums. So, I mean, let me give that to you first as the, the professional drummist among the two of us. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Do, okay, yeah. do you have anything to say about the, the beat going on here? Uh, well, let me just gather my thoughts here. Um, 
again, going back to earlier, like the way he uh, uses the uh, the sixteenths he's playing on the hats. I, I remember listening to that, and that uh, it, it's almost um, it's almost like a take on the uh, uh, what's it called. Um, it's almost a take on the uh, what's the, be my baby Ronette's beat. I literally have that in my notes that I'm looking at right now because okay, yeah, because exactly what I was going to say before I threw it to you is uh, in live versions also during the the pulse stalls stanza uh, like they would drop out uh, everything and then it would just be sort of Brendan doing his thing and he would he would simplify the drum beat to exactly that be my baby beat like, yeah boom, yeah boom boom tsh. is that the one at uh, hamburg i watched on hamburg 99 and i noticed they did that but i i think maybe they kept the, the ian and joe kept playing oh yeah it might have maybe ian and joe do keep playing but i think they i think they did that almost every time because uh i'm i'm 99 percent sure they do that on the instrument version oh, okay yeah. uh Oh, maybe I just didn't catch that, but uh, okay. That on that instrument one, I did notice that as time wore on, uh, they slowed the song down. Interesting. Uh, which is uh, like the Hamburg one for sure, and it's it's much it's it's even more effective, I think. And uh, it, it's one thing to uh, it, it, it's not often a band plays uh, their songs slower live, but uh, I, I guess it's just testament to you know they're always growing and uh, uh, they just. Maybe I don't know if it was just that's the way they did it that day, or they just kind of noticed if they slowed it down, it had more power. I respect any band that can slow a song down because, like, it feels like every band I've been in, we just unintentionally speed up the more we play a song. <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a universal <laughs> thing. I think but, you yeah. know, there's exceptions to every rule. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the so the drum beat overall, I was, I had never this had never occurred to me before because I always really liked this song but listening to it like tr- with a really careful ear it occurred to me like is this is this drum part too busy for this song like it is i i feel like if i were a drummer which i'm not uh and somebody came to me with this music i would do something more laid back um but brendan's really like um making it i don't know a little a little dancey a little sassy yeah i I don't know. I guess maybe maybe he uh, maybe I think maybe he does that because um, the guitar line that Guy is playing is like what we said is it's based on Rihanna, but that's you know Rihanna's a faster song, but there the pulse of the guitar is eighth notes, and right. here the song's slower, but the pulse of the guitar notes is also sixteenths. And also, so the, I wonder- like this is a much the the guitar part here is so much more fluid than Rhiannon, which is much more like dun 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 yeah dun, 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 yeah, dun. yeah yeah yeah. And but I, I wonder if because he felt he had so much more space on the because of what uh, Joe and uh, uh, Ian were doing. Yeah, yeah because, no uh, yeah I, I yeah I I'm sure I, I regret saying too busy because i do love it like maybe yeah, yeah. maybe i'm saying just the kind no, of thing like like if you were called in as a, as a session musician they'd be like whoa 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 tone it down man this is this is a chill song <laughs> yeah, oh yeah 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 well we've all heard that yeah um <laughs> but like you said earlier though he did simplify it it seems as time goes on I, I you know even though they were working them out live clearly before they recorded it sometimes it just takes you a while to kind of wrap your head around your own songs yeah, I think that's true for sure. Um, yeah. Like sometimes sometimes you don't understand what really makes a song good uh, until you've been working at it for a while. Yeah. Putting things in, but also taking things away, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. We don't need that third guitar solo. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to circle back to see if I can figure out like, uh, an overarching theme of this, and I think I think what I'm leaning toward now is, yeah, like taking your idea about each uh, verse being about somebody different. Like, I I can almost imagine that this is something that would happen during I don't know very impressionistic time in a person's life when the, when they're young. Like somebody old, like a grandparent, is dying, but at the same time. Like their emotions are torn in so many different ways because they're obsessed with some kind of new young love that's happening. So it's almost yeah, like yeah, the yeah. first verse is dedicated to the former, the second verse de- dedicated to the latter. Um, yeah, so. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like it's, uh, yeah, like it could be that it could be the same person in two different times of their life, or I don't know. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's a great theory too. Yeah. Like it's like yeah, a flashback yeah. to when this dying person was uh, younger and and vital. And uh, yeah, hmm. but that, then again, in that in that book, uh, I recently read the the, the in the you know the Killtaker book, and they talk about public witness program and uh, <laughs> right. And he's like pure science fiction, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you know, yeah." You ever seen the Road Warrior? I that was that was the sequel to Mad That's Max, Mad, right? Mad, yeah, the sequel. Yeah, I, I did a, see that. I never saw the first one. Okay, so yeah, the sequel. Yeah, so there's a part where he uh, Mad Max has abducted the gyro, gyro captain. He's taking him hostage with a double barrel shotgun to find out where the gasoline is, and uh, later on he. Gets uh, uh, he gets a couple of shotgun shells, so he finally loads the gun, and the gyro <laughs> and the gyro captain goes all this time, and that's how I, that's that's the image that came to my head when I found out it was it was pure science fiction. I was like all this time, <laughs> but again in, in today's world that what that song's about is not really science fiction anymore. Yeah, it's one of one of Fugazi's famously prescient songs. Yes. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, the the filmed show from Instrument before, uh, where, uh-huh. where they play this, I gotta say, like in my long and unremarkable history of you know pretty much unbroken heterosexuality, like this that may be the most attracted I've ever been to another man. Like Guy is <laughs> real, real sexy in that performance. I gotta say, yeah. He's yeah, like uh, he's really feeling it, looking good, uh playing his yeah. heart out. So yeah. hats off to uh to a fine looking young man there. <laughs> yeah, and uh yeah. And and yeah, the I, well and, sh- and for sure the confidence and the abandon that he puts in the performance is also attracting. Yeah, totally. Uh yeah, yeah. One more thing uh, that it just occurs to me with the lyrics, the line um taste all the waste. Is this more more coprophagia like in Fell Destroyed? <laughs> oh, um, I, I have to th- I'd have to think about that. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to. Uh, I, I fell destroyed. That's off end hits, right? I, I'm trying yeah. to remember uh, exactly how that song goes off the top of my head. It's yeah. It's just um, that he drops the word coprophagic in there. And oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and yeah, because okay. I already sort of saw them as parallel songs, so um, uh-huh. that, that okay, line sort yeah, of jumps yeah. out to me in this one too. Well, I, I, I guarantee you I'm going to check that out once uh, once we're done here, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if you don't want to say anything else uh, in particular, I'll go well, to social media. Um, did, do you have any, any last notes on the song? No, but I, I, I think on the album itself, um, just where this sits in it. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great denouement. Uh, so this would be the third Fugazi release I heard and the opening facet squared. Uh, I was a little bit alarmed by it because it's probably aside from like the beeping and the build, but when the riff kicks in and particularly when the whole band kicks in, it's just ferocious, but not only that, but uh, Ian sings in the, the lower register. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's, and it's, I was like, well, I don't know if I like, I don't know what this is. And, and it's, and it seems very low in the mix. So I was like, oh, am I not going to like this record? But then, you know, by the by the time of that song, you know, the the, the break in the middle, uh, the dun, 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 you know, they're holding the chords on the two and the four, uh, touch, and he screams, touch the ground, I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and it's great because it starts with that one-two punch of uh, Fast and Squared and Public Witness Program. And then ends with this the uh, instrument and uh, last chance for a slow dance, and it's just a, a such a great sequencing. I guess is what I'm looking for. The whole album is sequenced so well. It's really an album that wakes you up and then puts you to bed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I agree. They they that was just one aspect of their genius. I would say that they had some very well sequenced albums. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Let me throw it to some of our friends on social media for their comments on the song. John Rash says that guitar hook is hypnotic and menacing like a snake charmer. I like that little, yeah, it does have some kind of like Eastern tonality to it. Some... Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a very good take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very good point. Yeah. 
what's what's the scale that's supposed to be like Egyptian feeling? Is that like melodic minor? I I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. My I don't know. Well. Um, is uh maybe is it Phrygian? <laughs> oh, pH? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, the mode. Phrygian modes. I don't, I don't know. know. My ignorance is being exposed right now. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam Noble says it took me years to actually realize that what Ian and Joe are playing in the outro part is actually what they're playing the whole way through on the verses. Uh, that's exactly what you said. Okay. Doug. Yes. Uh, yes. That's what I said. Yeah. yeah. And he says uh, I don't know how I didn't pick up on it. Maybe because the spotlight is on Gee so much for that song. Alan Newman says it's a good closer, but my least favorite song. I feel like I should elaborate. It's a soulful song, probably the most on the album, and the Fugazi closers have a lot of soul. It's probably one of the best Gee songs, but I love Killtaker, and after the second half of that album, it feels like a downer, like a song that should have built and had a more energetic payoff, like K-Y-E-O, would be more fitting on Killtaker and vice versa. Okay. Mm, okay. That's a okay. valid take. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Pils, uh, he's, see, he's got an umlaut over the A in his last name. So I don't know what to do with that. Daniel Pilsater? Pilsater? I know they keep saying that vocals always come uh, last, but listening to this song now, I have had uh, I have such a hard time imagining that you'd write a song like this without vocals in mind. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, and as we said, it's it's clear that he sort of was working on the lyrics as yeah as they played it. So uh, yeah, but but I think you're right, Daniel, in that he. Uh, he almost certainly had a vocal melody in mind and some some ideas at least before before they started you know forming this really. Well, this seems like one that he probably brought in, that, and it wasn't just a spontaneous jam. It's one that I really enjoy imagining how they came up with it. Like you'd think Guy's just he's like, hey, all I have is this sort of circular guitar thing and yeah, like yeah. a vocal melody, and they sort of figure yeah. out something to do under it that turns out to be brilliant. Um, yeah, that's how I imagine it. Yeah, uh, so that's just a sampling of the social media comments. But what do we think about Last Chance for a Slow Dance? Let's talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? And uh, Doug, you've listened to the show, but for people who are just joining us now, we like to rate every song on this podcast on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of all Fugazi songs from your least favorite to your most favorite. So what do you think, Doug? How does this one rate for you? <laughs> I've listened to your, a couple episodes of this, and uh, this was the question I was uh, dreading. And uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to quantify it. Um, in the grand scheme, it's a great song. I love it. And I think as I get older, it it, it, it gets better to me. Uh, I probably would have felt the same way as the KYEO, uh, whoever said that about uh, should have been KYEO type song ending. Mm-hmm. I would have felt that. I would have felt that more that way at like 18. Uh, not dissing, not dissing him, but uh, it's just grown in stature. I Maybe a four out of five. But like I said, given where it sits on the album, it, it almost elevates it. I believe, uh, to like a, I don't know, four, uh, 4.3, I guess. I don't know. Big rating. I think yeah. for me, this is going to get a slot in my coveted five-star tier. Um, it's, I really love oh, nice. it. It's, yeah. there's some, there's something magical about it that, I don't know, is, is a rarity for Fugazi, is a rarity for any bands. My favorite part about it is that very ending part where it's just Ian and Joe and yes. I, I just love it. it. It sounds so great, so moving, sad, romantic. You know, I like the song as a whole, but that's the real magic of it to me. I, I, I agree. It's, it's the vocal performance and that ending there because um, that's what grabbed my ear. Like I said, was I had to go back. So I was like, wait a minute, what was that? And um, uh, just, just the audacity to end a record. Uh, to to be known as the band that they are, and just to end it with like yeah, like uh, almost a lullaby. Yeah, it's kind of it kind of reminds me too of you know a common set closer for Fugazi was the instrumental Sweden Low, and it's yeah uh, yeah some people might see that as incongruous, but I don't know depending on the way they were feeling that night, they just like okay we, let's let's chill it down and end our show on like a on a nice slow well Sweden Low note. Plus, I was just looking at the live series, their sets here, and they would play upwards of almost 30 songs a night. Yeah. So it's a nice thing to end with, uh, 
you know, they usually put a quiet one somewhere in the middle, just to give the ears a break, theirs and the audiences. And uh, it it just seems like yeah, it's a nice way to end a set. Yeah. Rather than like, rather than always being like, all right, this is our ten minute jam for the finale. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. our this is our punishing feedback segment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big big ratings for this song. Yeah, let's let's see if the upcoming string of Gee songs that we'll be doing in the next several weeks can possibly measure up to this. So plugs. Never mind what's the Doug McGregor, where can listeners reach you? Do you have any projects coming up that you want to plug? Uh, oh, actually, yeah, I, I do have this band in Toronto here that I play with sometimes. Uh, it's uh, we're called Lids, and it's uh, it's featuring uh, it, we, uh, it's um, uh, sorry, I played a band called Lids with uh, a guy from Mets, uh, Alex Edkins. He plays guitar and sings in Mets. Do you know them? Yeah, M M E T Z M E T Z. Sorry, M E T Z. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm just I'm trying to make foreigners uh, comfortable on my podcast here. You know, I'm, I'll do anything I can. Yeah, have you ever heard this band ZZ Top? They're great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but him and uh, a guy from Holy Fuck, Brian Borcher, and uh, we we just play together as like a, we're just a trio. But uh, we do have a, 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 a seven inch coming out for the Sub Pop Singles of the Month Club soon. Wow, just yes. like Fugazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, amazing. I guess. Yeah. All right. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty stoked on that. They got, they got like a, apparently they're putting out John Waters in oh. that series. So it's a, it's a subscription. So you have to, you can go to the website and, uh, and, uh, you, you know, you pay your subscription fee and then you get, uh, one single a month for a year. Awesome. And ours is one of them. Yeah. So we're probably going to set that up on a band camp or something. Right on. Thanks for joining me, Doug. For me, as usual, you can give the show a rating on Apple Podcasts or share it with friends or whatever. You can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com and you can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi. Uh, other than that, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing latest disgrace. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my life.